uh, home is a refuge. It's, it's your little universe that no matter what is happening outside, you can go back to and do all the good things and the bad things. And that element of refuge and protection, it's what makes home, each home, so important. And I would say that everybody should make, regardless if it's just one room or a bed or a huge castle, but having that element of refuge, that's what homes are about. Yeah, it's a theme, isn't it, for you, the refuge thing? Yes, sheltering, protecting. Yeah. Do you wear your refuge clothes within your refuge? <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Homing In podcast. I'm Matt Gibbard, co-founder of The Modern House. Today's guest is the fashion designer Roxanda Ilinchic. I first met Roxander in 2006. We were selling her flat in King's Cross, which was unlike anything I'd seen before. A brooding space with cast concrete worktops, a black resin floor and mirrored light wells. It also had a subterranean lap pool that was completely black like a cave. Roxander had recently shown her first collection at London Fashion Week and garments dangled enticingly from rails in her workspace. 18 years or so later, I've come to meet her in her studio in the East End to record this podcast. Like before, her latest collection is on display, only this time the hanging rails have multiplied by a factor of 100. The colours are even more vibrant. Uh, and Roxander is no longer simply a name, it's also a brand with a global following, which has been embraced by the full spectrum of celebrity, from Beyonce to the Duchess of Cambridge. I love finding out more about Roxander's life story. Um, she talks very passionately about the importance of nature in her life, from the old quince trees in her grandparents' garden to the inside-outside living of her favourite modernist houses in Brazil. She describes how the birth of her daughter was like a portal opening up, which gave her new confidence and a sense of perspective. She tells me about how she's managed to bring architecture into fashion and why she believes that clothes are there to provide shelter and protection in the same way that a home does. Thank you so much for listening as always, and I really hope you enjoy it. Roxanne, what a pleasure. Very nice to see you after all these years. As always, we go all the way back to your very beginnings, and you wanted to talk about your grandparents' house in Serbia. I'm intrigued, tell me about it. Yes, well, first of all, thank you for having me. Such pleasure. a pleasure. Um, I feel it's been like a full circle with this interview. So, yes, way, way back to my grandparents' house from my mom's side, my granddad and my grandma lived in this beautiful house estate in the heart of Serbia. It's about three hours' drive from Belgrade, from capital. And it's in a part of Serbia that is similar to maybe Somerset. I'm trying to compare it to something in England, but I guess... Each part of the world is unique, but... Why is it like Somerset? Well, it's quite hilly, yeah. but not too hilly. It's quite mild in terms of climate, and therefore it's very known for vineyards and kind of agriculture, like it has fields of strawberries and fields of raspberries in, in the later years. Back in the day, it was just wine. And it's just a lovely, sleepy village where they have their house. And it's such an important part of my upbringing, of my childhood, and, and also who I am today and what I'm representing in my clothing, I think, as well. So those two houses, because actually it is two houses that form the estate, are a very important part of who I am, and that's why I wanted to touch upon them. 
And what is interesting is that never anybody asked me particularly about them. So this is actually interestingly the first time that I'm mentioning them. So and why, so why two houses, one for him and one for her? Or No, it is, yeah, you will laugh, but basically the houses were built in a separate times. And this is very much part of that region of Serbia called Shumadia, when one house would be built for maybe like a new newlyweds. And then the moment they, the family would extend and they would have a kids, later on they would build another house. But what was interesting is that those houses were not joined in any way. They're literally two separate houses in position so that they form this garden within. But during the winter, for example, if you had to go from one house to another house, and I remember this very well as a child, we would be running barefoot in our pajamas <laughs> in the snow. Really? And each house had a totally different atmosphere, which was really interesting. Right. And usually what would happen with the second house is that the second house was more built for additional rooms for actually like, like almost like a sleeping quarter. So the first main house would be the house that had the kitchen, the dining room, the drawing room, like everything you would expect. And obviously maybe maximum two bedrooms, while the second house, all the rooms were bedrooms. And that was normally the house that us kids would stay in. So it was almost like house for adults and house for kids mm-hmm. with the supervision of somebody, obviously. But it was like our little heaven in a way we would be running through the house doing all type of mischievous things i don't know why i I just remember us always being punished for breaking something or jumping out of the window of the back window and going into the river which our grandma was very worried about us going to the river at the time Uh, now i see why when i have my own daughter but at the time as a kid you just want to do some naughty little things and uh, and as i said they were like they're so vivid in my memory, those two houses still. The one that we stayed in particular room had a hand-painted walls with those kind of beautiful linear drawings of flowers. And you couldn't, they were slightly abstract, so you couldn't immediately see that there are flowers. But I remember before falling asleep, I would count how many flowers are on a wall. That would make me go to sleep. So yes, there, there, were, there were lots of lovely memories. That's really nice. And, and what did your grandparents do? Were they working at that point? or No, they were both retired at that point. And what I would like to touch upon, it's also connection of those houses with the nature and with the garden. Yeah. Because basically what was so extraordinary about them is that they couldn't exist without the nature that was surrounding them. And the nature was very important. And to start with, the house was really set back from the road. So... It almost looked in a way like, like a found little treasure, like, like a normal passersby could not even realize that house is there. And so you had to know which way to take to get to the house. And everything around those two houses was covered in flowers because my uncle lived there as well and he was a passionate gardener and, I, and my grandmother as well. So I just remember peonies when you walk in it was the massive field of peonies and then there were like roses and they were cultivating this very particular type of carnations actually as well so there were loads and loads of flowers but what was making everything so special were actually old trees so there was queen's tree that was joining those two houses so you could sometimes even climb on a queen's tree and get from one house to another and that was our favorite climbing tree and then on the right-hand side, 
slightly behind the houses were tall mulberry trees. And the reason why I love mulberry trees is because my granddad would self-made this kind of extremely big hammock, I could say, that could fit probably 10 people. So I, I can't quite fully describe it, but it's actually, it was made out of metal. And it, it didn't swing that much, but it was suspended between those two humongous mulberry trees. So come late afternoon, we would always climb up, bring our duvets and climb up onto this humongous hammock and just jump and sleep. And those mulberries kept falling on the top of us and creating a mess of our outfits and the blankets and duvets. That was another thing that we've been often told <laughs> about. But it was a very special moment, sometimes very peaceful moment because we would be so tired, we would be just lying on those hammocks for hours and talking and sometimes looking at the skies. And then past the flower garden, going further, was this really large plum orchard. And the plums are so important in Serbia because everybody are very proud of making their wines, personal wines and personal grappas. So my dad was particularly good with his grappas. They were quite strong. So past these wonderful plums, there, there was like vegetable garden. It wasn't particularly big, but they were trying to be as sustainable and possible and make their own vegetables. And then, of course, there was a small vineyard. This was just more like a vineyard that my uncle had as his personal hobby. But when you combined all those gardens together and everything that was happening in them. It was like a few totally different universes and you could go from one to another. And uh, yes, it was a very happy time. Sounds it, yeah. Well, yes. If you could describe yourself as a child, what sort of, what kind of person were you at that point? Oh, I was quite mischievous, I would say. I loved playing. I love. Uh, I was always like a very outgoing person loved friends, loved doing things that I guess all the kids love doing, but I was also quite creative since early age. And luckily the two cousins that I'm that I was mentioning earlier, they're also quite creative. One of them is artist. And and we were always making certain things out of most bizarre findings in a garden. We would make necklaces or just the usual things, paint, paint ourselves. It was <laughs> Another thing that we would be told off about. So it was a fun time, really and, nice time. And do you think that there was any, if you look back now, any kind of glimpse into a future in fashion somewhere there? Not that I was aware of. Yeah. I think at the time I just obviously love art, love creative things, but I don't think that being a fashion designer came as a potential of career until much, much later on. Yeah. And even when I was grown up enough to realize that can be a potential career, I think the possibilities in Belgrade were not as such that I could see it as something that I could actually live from or do in my life. Okay. Because I think I've read that you said that your mother used to get dresses made from fabrics that she'd collected on her travels, right? Yes, yes. My mom was traveling a lot and obviously buying lots of fabrics and lots of clothing, as a matter of fact. But she had this sexually passion to make clothes herself. Actually, in another life, I, I do feel that my mom probably would be a fashion designer. So maybe that was something that was 
subconsciously pass from her to me. Yeah. But I guess that's my gain, definitely, because I was exposed to it since young age. And she used to take me with her to those lovely seamstresses that would actually also be making patterns and advising my mom on pot- potential, not how the designs would look, but more how they would be executed. And I would be always there, present in those fittings. I love going with my mom to those fittings and I would listen and try to learn things. And as a matter of fact, I always hoped that there would be some leftover fabric so that I can make something myself. So yeah, there was definitely a fashion design in me <laughs> very early age. And what, did she work your mum? Yes, yes. Yeah, my mum, ma- yes, she's a pharmacist, but she worked in actually PR for a pharmaceutical company. Okay. So that's what made her travel around the world and also travel a lot around Serbia. And at the time we were Yugoslavia, so she was traveling a lot in other republics of Yugoslavia. It was um, a very dynamic job and job that was also demanding from her to obviously dress in a certain way or go to lots of events. So being a person that loves fashion, I think she embraced that fully and really enjoyed it. And do you think you got some of your sort of entrepreneurial spirit from your parents? Yes, because my dad is actually entrepreneur and I think that was definitely more passed on to my brother. But I had to do it willingly or unwillingly by starting my own label and no matter that you are not taught in school in St. Martin's or back home how to run a business, I think very soon you have to learn very quick and very fast and ideally not on your own mistakes but on somebody else's yeah, mistakes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And learn how to survive because I think being good in business, understanding that side of creativity, it's crucial in mm. order to survive. And... I think that was something that definitely I developed a lot throughout those 15 plus years of running my own brand. So as what was your dad's professional, his, his profession? He was uh, taking over uh, businesses that were in distress, okay. so like a back home, and making them profitable and successful. So it's quite a hard and challenging job. And he was very good at it. And the businesses that he would take on were not the small businesses. They would usually be quite a big uh, state companies like for telecommunication or for pharmaceutical companies where he met my mom. So yes, they were, they were quite big, like a well-known businesses that unfortunately were going through the tough time. And you studied architecture, didn't you? You talked about in Belgrade. Did you think about... <laughs> Becoming an architect, was that an option or you just liked the idea of studying it? Well, it was very interesting choice of architecture because I always loved design, I always liked creativity and I love architecture as well. But definitely fashion was something that almost had this kind of like inner call that couldn't resist whatever I was doing, including architecture. Fashion was still taking a priority. And the reason why I started studying architecture is what I touched upon earlier. Because in Belgrade at the time, being a fashion designer didn't really seem like a valuable solution for any type of career or future because designers were most imported from abroad. There were maybe two or three well-known Serbian designers and they were doing their job and that there was really no need for anybody else (laughs) so the market was quite small so it was 
almost in my mind impossible to have a career like that. And I was very ambitious. I was always ambitious in the school as well. And I felt that I need to do something that will almost be like a compromise, something that is creative, but it's not fashion. And that's how I landed doing architecture. But then on a side, I also enrolled myself to Faculty of Applied Arts. And I think it's really important to understand this. So I was a student of University of Architecture, something that is considered as really serious, really respected, really extraordinary. And then Faculty of Architecture, even the words University Faculty, is telling you how the fashion was perceived. It was perceived like something definitely less worthy, almost like a hobby, something that people that maybe can't really make it anywhere else mm. are doing. Although getting accepted to Faculty of Applied Arts, it was extremely difficult because obviously there was only one school that was offering this. So to get accepted, it was like a one in hundred would get in. So that actually exam was much, much harder than architectural exam. And Why do you think you got in? I really took a year to prepare, so I didn't leave anything to chance. So I went and took drawing and sculpting classes in one of the best schools, where it was also very hard to get in, but they would test you and then they had those really incredible ways of teaching you how to be a little bit better than, I guess, expected <laughs> for that particular exam. So, so yes, luckily I was accepted and, and then I continue actually studying both. But one, I was accepted to master's here at St. Martin's. I left architecture and came here and never really looked back. Never looked back in terms of doing architecture, but always stayed very big enthusiast about architecture, very big support of our architecture. I think there was that knowledge and understanding that I managed to congregate from those years while mm. studying architecture that gave me even more depth of what is needed for architecture and what is beautiful in architecture. So I, I think I'm grateful for all of my studies and for all the knowledge that I gain along the way, regardless if Maybe it took a little bit more of my time, of my free time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Could you think you got a bit of an architectural approach to design in a way? Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Because you design in three dimensions, don't you, rather than with a pen? Yes, I drape on a dummy a lot. That's how I started. And now my team is taking that to even another level. So I think that kind of bringing all my experiences into my fashion and my fashion vocabulary is very important. And on purpose, I wanted to bring architecture into it and not just from level of maybe sculpting and 360 experience of the dress, but also in more emotional level. I always believe that clothes is there to shelter and protect you in a similar way that houses and buildings are. And I also feel that there has to be a big harmony between clothing that we are wearing and who we are and environment that we come from, which all applies to architecture. And there is a third element that I was always drawn to. I, I call it like a liquid architecture that doesn't have many walls, that has lots of space and light. And I'm trying to do that in a different way through my clothing as well. So I rarely have a corsets unless they're really necessary. All my constructions within a dress are done usually in very simple way, maybe sometimes even with a grogren using 
help of grow green ribbons rather than hard corsets or supports or structures because I truly believe in comfort and that sheltering element of dress, which is very similar to architecture. Well, it is, isn't it? Yeah, I've, I've, I've read about this. You talk about the idea of shelter. So do you think that as people, we need this kind of protection that, that fashion gives us? Definitely. The pro- protection and also um, enhancing positive emotions. I, I think sometimes when you put certain piece that you love and that you feel it really goes with your personality, you get slightly elevated, your spirits get elevated, your self-confidence get elevated. It's almost you have this better version of yourself. And that is the true meaning of fashion, that kind of emotional connection with what you're wearing. Because I think clothes is one thing, they're, they're, they're more for function, but real and true luxury piece is there to excite you on many other levels that you can't fully explain. And I think that's the true connection with art, that kind of element of emotional connection with something that is not tangible, you can't fully describe it, but you can fully feel it. Excellent. Well, let's move on to your home in inverted commas of the present, because it's actually your store on Mount Street in London, which you designed with David Adjay. For those people that haven't been there, just describe it to us. What's it like? It's a wonderful story. And one of the highlights of my career as a fashion designer is the store in Mount Street. It's a very special place, very special universe for me. And I hope for the clients, my clients that come in to experience it as well. Obviously, it's designed, as you said, by David Adjay. And it's a story that kind of continued from our previous collaboration of The Lost House. And what we managed to achieve, I think, is this wonderful narrative through architecture, touching upon what my collection is also about. There's lots of wonderful contrasts within the space. So when you walk through the door, obviously, there is this beautiful, brutalist gallery-like space that demands a certain kind of elegance and understanding of architecture as well. And I want to come back to that brutalist element because I come from a country that has quite a lot of brutalist buildings and I really always navigate towards um, concrete and um, quite minimal but also incredible sculptural shape. And we decided to clad all the walls with actually concrete and create this very sculptural shape that wasn't just like a flat poured concrete, but also concrete that was holding the the shelves and holding the art pieces and holding also different structures on a wall. Yes, it is sort of striated almost. It looks a bit like a kind of cliff face or something. Yes, it looks like a cliff face. And it's it's actually, we were talking, how should we do this? And we actually use already pre-existing concrete slabs that were then cut ah. in those kind of long vertical, you know, parts that were then mounted together. But when you then take this kind of almost kind of hidden staircase at the back of the ground floor, that takes you to a totally different universe, which is downstairs where the changing rooms are and a VIP room. And they were all covered with a particular type of felt that I used in my collection, in my garments at the time the shop was built. And I thought that connection with actually using the real fabrication of the collection that 
that travel to something that is tangible in a store and that will stay there for much longer time than duration of my show was really wonderful. And, and obviously making quite unusual color combinations and unexpected color combination was another very important element. Of like, the like what? Like, for example, we have this wonderful dark purple color against kind of lemon yellow and beiges against kind of dusty pinks and then very dark burgundy VIP room that looks almost that you walk into somebody's cupboard, into somebody's house and that you're not there to necessarily shop, but more kind of to be sheltered and protected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, all the dresses behind you suggest that colour is a bit of a thing for you. What's your influence there? Where does that come from? Colour also comes from back home, mm. definitely, because um, I grew, grew up in a country that um, has a lot of colour, colour in the nature as well, colour in the food markets, colour in the way that people were dressed at the time. Nobody was afraid of color, and um, and it's something that I feel very familiar with. But when I came and graduated from St. Martin's, I realized that's not the same here. No. And the people are, on the contrary, quite afraid of color, and they prefer things that are maybe more relevant to the nature here, gray, darker, neutral. And I thought that's my point of difference and something that I can really talk about and challenge the perception of color, challenge also how the colors are put together, what are harmonious color combination and disharmonious. And I wanted to particularly talk about strange color combinations and something that people would find quite weird, strange, and, well, I can't find the right word apart from weird and strange, <laughs> but... <laughs> Um, but they will eventually like to start to love. And I think I succeeded. It did take a long time. Yeah, yeah. And it took step by step because when you look at my collections way back from 2005, the colors are bright, but they're much more muted than what they are now, for example. Okay. But at the time, they were really radical and almost like a shocking. And I think that those bold combinations is something that I never gave, gave up on. Um, I want to ask you about the, the power of the retail experience because you've got a shop that is purpose designed for your clothes. It must be quite autobiographical for you. Do you think that someone coming into to Mount Street and having a look around would be more likely to be persuaded to buy something than if they saw exactly the same dress in a department store, for example? I, I definitely think so. I, I think coming to the world, it's, it's a whole world, it's my world, everything to the point of the scent that you can smell when you walk into the room, to the music that is playing, to the artists that I'm curating in a shop window. This is actually an interesting part that I didn't mention, but every three months I have a different artist that I invite to actually take the center stage in my store window and and within the store as well. And when my customers come in a store, they can see directly from almost my research, my passion for art, passion for architecture, everything to the point of the books that are placed throughout the store that are also coming from my inspirations to final design. So, yes, I think there is definitely that full world and full environment that they can be exposed to and understand me better, I mm. guess. What's the store done for you, just personally and as a brand, as it were? 
it established me in much quicker time mm. than what I would manage to do if I didn't have my store. It also opened a direct link to my customers, direct understanding of who they are. So I think it, it made me, it completed the brand in a way. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned the Lost House, which is a house that David Adjay designed for you and your husband, Philip, quite a few years ago now, which we sold for you, I think back in 2007, maybe, or something like that. Yes. Which is how we first got to know each other. I mean, tell me briefly about that place, because it, I mean, it's one of the, possibly the most unique living space I think I've ever been in, but the whole thing was black. You had three kind of light wells offering some natural light from above, but it was sort of a sort of fashionista's version of a bat cave or something, wasn't it? it was... <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I wouldn't call it like that. And it's interesting that you said that it was full black. It actually wasn't full black. It, it had element of that mysticism in a way and darkness, but there were many shades of black joined with actually grays and dark greens. So I think there were about five different shades of dark green, <laughs> but people do perceive it as a black, which I guess it's fine as well. It was a very special project for me and my husband. And I think that we opened the whole door of looking into interiors in a different way. I remember when we did it, it was quite groundbreaking and, and people were surprised by choice of colors and what we have done. But then once you see how many similar things were coming after that lost house in mm. terms of design and, and color and uh, concept, you see that you really managed to create something a little bit ahead of the time. And again, this wonderful juxtaposition of the living space that was dark and the sleeping quarters that were very soft and gentle. And I don't know if you remember that long lavender corridor, which was probably my favorite yeah, I mean, whole... looking back on it now, you were actually just getting going, I think, with your with your yes. business, weren't you, at that yes. time? Because you were working yes. in the house. But looking at it now, the colours are so clearly you. That What was the colour? of the, There was a sort of cinema kind of soft seating area. Sort so of that was this, acid this particularly, yeah, the acid green. Acid green. So the cinema was acid green. And uh, yeah, that, that kind of spearheaded loads of imitations, that particular green, which it's quite... Quite interesting to see something that it's so particular to then trickle in into kind of mainstream. <laughs> yeah. And and the bedrooms were in this kind of very kind of calming mint green color and that lavender, wonderful lavender. So it's yes, it's a wonderful project that that also was changing from season to season. Those light wells that were also gardens, each one in its own right, were also performing their own kind of pieces of installation art in a way when you were actually living there and for example it was raining or particularly when it was snowing because they had their own microclimate and micro winds that were circulating around so you can imagine snowdrops falling in this kind of like a swirly way oh, wow. and then again the rays of sunshine would create something totally different because at the top of each well we have a set of mirrors that was transforming the light into the flat so it was yeah wonderful thing 
You talked about your grandparents' house being quite anonymous from the front, and this certainly was like that as well. Like you never know what was going on behind that facade. Do you like that process of discovery? I love, I love the process of something that is hidden, that, that you have to discover, that you have to live in to know even more. And the lost house had this wonderful tiny little door at the back of the street that was actually entrance. And even when you enter, you wouldn't see the ground scale of a wonderful space. You had to turn right and into this incredible, I would call it like a piece of art. I, I really think that's one of the most incredible projects and I'm truly honored to have been part of it. Is, so, is it important to you that your home doesn't look like anyone else's? I never think about that like that. I never think about necessarily originality for sake of originality. I think that I'm more just follow my instincts and my intuition and something that will make me happy. I, I think that's usually yeah. what I follow. And that was exactly when that project was done. I just followed things that I loved. And you were, as I said, you were just getting going with your with your fashion brand. Did the house influence that? You were obviously working in that space. Did the two things collide somehow? I think they did. I think all creative ideas, no matter which disciplines they're coming from, are always intertwined and, and in a way influenced by each other. And I think that house influenced quite a lot of designs and uh, quite a lot of color combinations and also the moods, I would say. Yeah. So, for sure. You're a mother to a, a lovely little girl who's 12 now, I think, right? What, what did having your daughter do to the progression of your career and how do you look back on how you balance those two things? I mean, having lived through that myself, I know what a big deal that is for a woman who's trying to run a business and really make it work. How do you look back on that period? It was quite a hard moment when... I actually just gave a birth to a wonderful little baby at the end of at the very end of July, a month and a half before the fashion show. And I was in a position that I had to do that fashion show. Also say here that I'm so happy that things have changed now and you're not necessarily expected to present the shows season after season. But then mm. if you didn't have a show, it would consider that um, something's very wrong and you might not be really doing things right so so I had to present that show and go straight from almost labor back into the studio so it was a crazy time but something really miraculously happened around the time that Mia was born it's almost like that some portal was open for me and I really and truly believe this because things really started to fall into the place after she was born and I find a new confidence and also a new way of balancing my time because before all of my days including the weekends including the holidays were more or less spent in a studio or if I was on holiday I would be working and that definitely stopped immediately after Mia was born and I think that the balance of having time for your family and yourself and having a time for business that is absolutely separate and fashion and doing this job was um, something that was so important to me but by having a child you actually realize how non-important it is and I think that also realization of where the business comes and how unimportant is compared to the human life I think it's another great lesson which interestingly 
I didn't know yeah. <laughs> until, until I had a baby. Now, obviously, there are different challenges of them trying to run both and, and be lovely parent and then successful in your job that is also very demanding. That's a different, whole different story that maybe it's not, we won't have time now in this interview, but happy to take it on another time. But there's many challenges. And I think that women that say that it's very easy and they do it, blink of an eye, wouldn't necessarily be the truth. Because you do want to be excellent mom and you do want to be excellent fashion designer and business person for your job. And we know that both of those things require your full attention, your full time, and obviously you're splitting it. So there is lots of things to learn and not to be hard to yourself as well. I think that moment of not being hard and understanding that you can't do either of them well enough, mm. but still good enough, I think it's the most important. Yeah. And do you think about what sort of role model you are for Mia? Yes, I do. Um, and it's interesting that despite everything and seeing good and bad things, she still wants to follow my career path and wants to be a fashion designer. Oh, wow, that's pretty nice. <laughs> yes, so it's interesting because I don't spare her. I don't spare her of of maybe some uh, not not so glamorous and not so easy things that are happening because I want her to be fully aware of all the consequences and make her own choices and and follow something that she's passionate about because I think following something that you love and making that your job it's the most wonderful gift that you can give to yourself and the choices are always yours you're the one making the choices so i think she needs to learn that yeah yeah and what's your current home like is it something that you built again or no the current home we are living actually nearby here it's a flat already existing flat that we and it interestingly it was flat that my husband owned from before and we moved in just temporarily maybe i would say like eight years ago until we find our new home or mm. our new house but interestingly we are still there and i can tell you exactly why it's so close to to work here and it's making my life as a mother going back to being a mother and running a business so much easier that all those positive things that are coming out of it i'm kind of finding it quite hard to let them go and I think until Mia is young, we are probably going to stay there because that element of actually saving the time of commuting and almost working from home without being at home, it's very precious to me. So yes, it's definitely a place that we might not stay forever, but it really works for the time being. So if you could summarize the importance of your home in your life and what it means to you, what, what would you say about that? I think the home is a refuge. It's, it's your little universe that no matter what is happening outside, you can go back to and do all the good things and the bad things. And that element of refuge and protection, it's what makes home, each home, so important. And I would say that everybody should make regardless if it's just one room or a bed or a huge castle. But having that element of refuge, that's what the homes are about. Yeah, it's a theme, isn't it, for you, the refuge thing? Yes, sheltering, protecting. Yeah. Do you wear your refuge clothes within your refuge? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it always, 
but that's the question though actually I mean what do you think about the difference between what you would wear at work and what you'd wear at home do you see them as the same thing or are you a fan no, of leisure wear no no I don't see them as the same thing like a home I depends what I'm doing in a day but it is definitely a difference in what I'm wearing it's more relaxed it's something that I can jump into bed <laughs> quickly so so there is a difference but I also feel like being at home or coming to work I feel it's important to follow yourself your emotion how you feel in a day I strongly disbelieve in following the trends or dressing for sake of it or dressing because you feel that's how it should be done like for example for work that you should wear certain things I do believe and encourage everybody to be around myself to just follow their personalities Brilliant. Let's talk about the future. Yes. Come on, let's do it. I mean, it sounds like you'd ideally be living in the modernist house in the Brazilian jungle. But yes. Tell me about that. Definitely. Well, I'm a huge fan of Brazilian, both art and architecture, and also particularly one architect or two, shall I say. But let's talk about one because she's a woman. And I also feel that women need a little bit more support. Yeah. So Lina Bobardi, originally from Italy, but based in Brazil, is really one of my heroes. And both her architectural work, the things that she particularly did for community, also her interior design, the furniture that I love so much and uh, I'm, I'm really uh, proud to be owning one of her chairs at home. So Lina's personal house that was in the middle of the jungle, I, I think very near where they were actually growing tea and I'm also a huge fan of teas funny enough but that house with wonderful glass walls that are almost connecting you to the nature is something very special and both in terms of how it looks visually but also I guess how it is to live inside of that house I think that connection with nature being away from the city and creating Yes, here I am using the word refuge again, but it does feel like a refuge, but very beautiful design refuge where every object and every chair and every piece of sculpture and painting to the see-through curtains that are actually a little shelter from outside world that you can draw at night to cover the glass walls. I, I think it's really something that talks to me a lot and, it, and it's my kind of like a dream house that I would like to retire one day. Yeah, I, I mean, it's an amazing place. The vegetation actually almost grows through, through the, the middle of the house, doesn't it? Yes, with the incredible roots that just kind of happen to become obviously, I guess, bigger and bigger. And that kind of coexistence of nature and the humans and architecture and the landscape it's just beautiful. I mean, some people would say that being in a jungle is actually quite scary. Do you, do you, would you disagree with that? I mean, especially at night time, right? If you're quite isolated like that. Yes, I guess so. I guess, but I also think it's a certain way of living with yourself, with the people that are dear to you and experiencing nature and your inner self most profound way. You don't have mm. anything to distract you, I guess. So I think it seems like alienating things to us here living in a city, but not to people that are living in a jungle. And I think I can become one of them. 
So, so given the choice, you would, I mean, if, if work weren't were one other thing, would you live outside the city? I think I could, but if I'm really, truly honest with myself, probably not full time because yeah. I think I love to interact with everything happening in a city, exhibitions, theatres are uh, a big source of inspiration for me, not just for my work, but I just think for me as a person. And I think that's the part that I really couldn't give up easily. Also my friends too. So I guess if I can take all of this with me to the jungle. Yeah, yeah. No, fair enough. I mean, Lena Bobardi's house, the other thing to say is it's raised up on stilts, isn't it? So yes. actually, I mean, what do you think about that idea of, I suppose, treading very lightly on the earth like it does? I love that you said treading very lightly on earth brings us back to the fluid architecture as well. I think the reason why she did it, of course, because the house is made on a slightly like kind of slow terrain. So that was probably one of the functional things, but also the things of a protection. I think when you are in a jungle, to be slightly elevated from the ground probably makes sense for you personally as well, <laughs> as much as for construction of the house. But it, it creates almost this kind of otherworldly effect of house levitating above the ground. And because uh, the walls are made out of glass, obviously does feel that it's levitating. I think it's one of the most beautiful houses, really. And when we set you this assignment of thinking about where you might live in the future, you also came up with another house, which is the House of the Canoes, the Oscar Niemeyer House, also in Brazil, which was built actually in 1951, exactly the same the year same, yes, as Lina Bogardi. Yes. So you're consistent. You're definitely consistent. Very but tell us about this one. <laughs> well, Oscar Niemeyer is somebody that I learned about when I studied architecture back home. And obviously we learned about Brasilia and the way the town was built. And also this idea of the country that comes up with almost utopian idea of building the city in a in the middle of nowhere, basically, with the most important state buildings and offices done by one architect in the shape of one profoundly, deeply minimal sculpture, I would say. So I always wanted to go and visit it, and luckily I did eventually, and obviously in the real life was something that can't compare to the images, pictures, and everything that I read about. So it's made a profound impact on me. And ever since then, I've been trying to find a way to come closer to one of the Oscars' worlds. The closest way is now in this interview, just dreaming that maybe one day yeah. I will be able to live in one of his houses. and. Obviously, it's 1950s and his use of concrete is extraordinary. Wonderful connection with nature as well. Obviously, in Brasilia, the weather is such that you don't even have to have walls and you can freely have those wonderful trees growing through the houses. And I just love the nature and the lightness of his designs and that kind of reference to woman body because he was always references woman body and, and his buildings are curved and round and voluptuous because he always used to compare them to the shapes of the female breasts and, and the bellies and the thighs. And I just love that connection with directly with a woman. And so, yes, so this house has on a much smaller scale elements of what he created in Brasilia. So it's definitely on my wish list. It's funny, when I was doing research for the book that I wrote, I discovered that sharp angles 
stimulate the amygdala, which is the part of the brain associated with fear. So actually, very much drawn to curves and organic forms because they make us feel settled and they're more natural, right? So mm-hmm. I think it's interesting that you had such a strong response to it going yes. there, that kind of sinuosity yes. of it. Because actually we live with a, a lot of right angles, don't we? <laughs> yes, everywhere, everywhere. I, that's so interesting. I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah, I think it's interesting. And, it, and what's amazing about that house is, is there's a massive rock, right, that sort of sits yes. inside and outside and the house is built around this rock. So that the nat- I mean, nature is physically coming in at you when you're in the house. Yes, yes. The same as Lena's house has the tree. So it's lovely how they both use nature in a different way. Yeah, yeah. So the, I think the main thing to come out of this discussion for me is this, you, ha- you obviously have this kind of, this urge for shelter, this urge for protection in the way that you live, but also the clothing that you design. Can, if you think about that, can you put your finger on why that might be, just you as a personality? I mean, are you quite a, an introvert or what, what do you think that's about? Not at all. <laughs> I think it probably comes from me being a woman, being a mother as well. I think that's that instinct that all of us are born with, which is instinct to maybe nurture and and protect in a way. And I think that maybe it's coming from that. I didn't look any deeper than that. It's, It's just, again, I often follow my instincts and this is one of my instincts as well. But... I guess it's, it, it can be linked to that, just coming from the place where you're taking care of other human beings as a mother, as a woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I read an interview that you did where you said you had a quite profound experience, another um, Oscar Niemeyer building. I think it was a church, maybe? Church, yes. Tell me about yes. that, because I'm... For me, architecture is a very uh, visceral, emotional thing. But, yes, but indeed, is it for yes. you? Have you? Have you experienced that? Absolutely. Oh, yes, all the time. While we were in Brasilia, actually, somehow I ended up visiting this church on my own. And there was nobody in the church as well. And the church, obviously, it's concrete inside, but it has this incredible stained glass that was all painted in blue. And on that particular moment and that particular day when I came in, there were certain rays of sun that were pointing the color, that incredible blue color, into the cross and into the altar and it was this surreal experience when I actually entered this church that I felt that I enter other world and that I've been taken from this world way up to the sky and it's not the first time I actually felt like that churches and places of worship are usually built in such way to with their scale and certain ways of construction to build this in people that are coming but particularly with this church, that was something very special. And you see, like, I still remember it very vividly. And since then, I, I got this incredible desire to actually go and visit different churches around different continents and just make my little plan of visiting those modernist, particularly modernist churches that are unknown or not as known as much, that are existing in very kind of remote parts of the world and you don't have so much information about them and almost rediscovering them for the first time, seeing them in their full beauty and that kind of meditative state of mind, but without actually learning about them too much. Obviously, I knew about this church, but there are so many that I think would be lovely to visit. So that's my next goal. 
I still didn't manage to do it. I mean, I'm, I'm so with you on this because I've, so probably two of the most memorable experiences I've had were in modernist churches. So the first one was, have you been to Ronchamp, the Le Corbusier Chapel? No, I, I, that's I another mean, one on my list for, yeah. for like the last 20 years. <laughs> Is it, I mean, yeah, I, I happen to have a very similar experience to you because actually Faye and I were the only people there. It happened, I don't know why. Yes. It was a winter day and the whole place was shrouded in mist and we were inside this masterpieces of a building on our own and it it is yeah we sat there for an hour I think and just took it all in and then the other one was my grandfather designed a cathedral in Liverpool Mm. called Paddy's Wigwam it's known as Paddy's Wigwam because it's a wigwam shape and it's a Catholic cathedral hence Paddy's bit and my father took me up to see it when I was young and I was aware this was my grandfather's great kind of legacy and yeah just experiencing a building that is I think one of the great buildings in this country anyway but knowing that a member of your family had made it was really profound so I'm with you my bucket list is going to be a series of ecclesiastical buildings around the world well let's Uh, go together yeah exactly I mean but seriously though it's I think the the ability of an architect to regulate light and space in in a certain Mm. way and make you feel something is 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 an amazing thing I think Um, yeah it's extraordinary yeah so thinking about the future of fashion, what, do you, what are your thoughts on that? Do you have any, where do you think it might go? We are in a very interesting time at the moment. I think that Corona has shifted many things quite drastically, things that were already happening, but I think that Corona has just pushed them in a speed of two years rather than maybe 15 years, mm. let's say. I want to say that there is many changes and I don't think they're just happening in fashion. I think they're happening in all categories, particularly in art and in design. And I think what is important to really not forget about craft, about how important it is to have the kind of human touch, how important it is to have that really new relevant touch that is coming from the point of knowledge rather than of the point of derivative copying of something else. And I just hope that fashion and all the other disciplines and art will run through certain rocky times that are happening at the moment and find its its way back to that purity, the purity of those churches that we were talking about, the, the purity of that wonderful design that is existing to discover something new, to break the boundaries and to transcend us into different universes. And I think that's the most important, not how many dresses we are selling, not how quickly the companies are growing, not how much followers they're having on Instagram, but for some slightly higher meaning. Mm. Um, So hopefully that's where the future of fashion is, as well as the future of all the other art disciplines. Because you you made an NFT of one of your dresses, didn't you? Yes. I mean, that's pretty futuristic. Yes, I, I like to be in touch of what's happening around me, for sure. And that was one of the moments that rather than following technology, I, I wanted to try to play at the same time as technology and I love that project. Yeah, yeah. NFT, yes. <laughs> and do you think you'll keep working forever or do you think there'll be a time when you want to fulfill your bucket list? No, I don't think that I will be working forever. I think I do want to find a time to go and visit all those churches, don't I? Yeah, you do. <laughs> and I think as long as I work, yeah. <laughs> that it's not happening. Yeah. So, so yes, no, I would like to find and carve the space for some of my passions that are not just fashion. Okay. And final question, when you look back over everything, when you're an old lady, what do you think will give you the most satisfaction? I think it would be a certain legacy that I leave behind and 
what that legacy exactly is. Is it me championing color or me championing women? So it, it's not just connected to necessarily my work, but more myself as a person. I think that would be really nice, but times will tell and show. I think you've done it already. <laughs> I think you're there. Thank you. Yeah, but, you can hang up your boots. But, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Roxanne. Thank you. Really good to chat to you. Thank you. Thanks. Lovely having you here. Thank, Thank you. Thank you to Roxander and thanks to all of you for listening along. If you're not already subscribed to the show, please do tap on the follow button and the next episode will magically appear in your feed in the next couple of weeks. Uh, it's a particularly good one, by the way. A reminder that this podcast is put together by The Modern House, the design-led estate agency that I co-founded back in 2005. Uh, if you're looking to buy or sell a beautiful home or if you want to get some inspiration for a project you're working on, do take a look at all of the content on our website, which is themodernhouse.com. This episode was produced by Hannah Phillips and edited by Oscar Crawford with music by Father. Thank you again for being here. We really do appreciate it uh, and look forward to talking to you all very soon. Bye for now.